Welcome to Romans Untangled, the podcast where we take a seemingly difficult book of the Bible and untangle it so that we can enjoy its beauty. Season 4, Episode 10, The End of the Matter, Romans 16. Hey, Pastor Steve Treichler here from Hope Community Church. As they say, all good things must come to an end. So it is with a bit of joy and sadness that I'm letting you know today that we are finishing up our 60 podcast, almost three-year run of Romans Untangled. It has been my privilege and joy to walk with you through this amazing book. Honestly, I feel like we could just start all over again, (laughs) and there's just so much to talk about. I want to really appreciate the encouragements, the notes, the emails, uh, just the people that I know who have contacted me and said that this book and this podcast has really encouraged them in their own walk with God. And so that's just really cool. And that's the aim of why we did this. I started this podcast. Uh, the the inception of it was when, when COVID hit. It took me a little while to figure out how to do a podcast. And we got it finally going, or at least we got the release going in um, early 2021. And it was just meant to be a time to reflect on God's word together, kind of let some of the craziness that was happening in our world with COVID and and some of the, the racial injustice pieces and unrest that was happening and isolation we were all feeling and just to allow God's word to minister to us. And I know for me, it, it really helped uh, with that, just to be able to walk with you in this. And so I want to say thanks uh, for this time. And I hope that you have been blessed like I have. Let's dive in. Let's get right into this last chapter. We're going to cover the whole chapter of the book of Romans, uh, chapter 16. Uh, It's not necessarily a short chapter. It's 27 verses. But as we go ahead and read it, you'll see that, yeah, we can pretty much cover cover the ground here in one week. So, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it a little bit differently. I'm gonna divide it into five sections this time, and it, just for purposes that we can discuss it. And each section, then I'm gonna read the passage right before we do. It. Instead of reading it all, you'll have a hard time remembering what's there. So here we go. Romans 16, the first two verses is our first section. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church of Centuria. I asked you. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. So here you have uh, a real cool thing happening to kick off this letter where the Apostle Paul is uh, dialoguing with the people in Rome and saying, I'm commending someone to you okay so this this means that there's a uh, there's an element of a, it's like a letter of commendation if if you want to call it that um and so as a result it, it's really cool in that he's saying I commend her to you it's like a letter of recommendation so to speak and then he's saying she's coming to Rome and I ask you to receive her. She has been very, very helpful uh, to to me, to many other people, and I want you to receive her well. Now, this is not an uncommon thing. Uh, we do it today if we're letting people know that somebody's coming and, and that they come with our blessing. And what was she going to do there? Was she going to bring a letter? Was she going to bring, you know, this letter? Was she going to... Uh, 
just be an emissary? Was she also, it says, to uh, give her any help because she's been a benefactor of many people, including me? Now, one of the things I, I want to highlight here is you're going to see in this list, and we're going to get into it in just a minute, where Paul's going to list a whole bunch of people. It is amazing to me how many of them are women. Now, I know you might be saying, well, that 50% or 51 or 2% of the population are women. Why is that a big deal? Well, it was a, it's a, this is more of a patriarchal culture, okay? And so for Paul to make a big deal about the value and the dignity and the worth and the equality of women in the ministry was a huge, huge deal. And uh, again, equality in, in, in does mean equal value, but of course, in a lot of ways, men and women are very different, and they function different in the home and in the church, I, and I get that, but you got to read this and see how important it is that first person he brings forward in this list that he's going to say here in, in Romans 16 is a woman, and I think that's very, very cool. Here we go. Second part. Uh, second part is just the greetings he's going to have. And he's going to have a whole bunch. It's going to go from verse 3 all the way to verse 16. It's going to talk about he wants them to greet people, and then he's also going to send greetings. And I don't know what your background was, but um, growing up in a small rural town, uh, Hibbing, Minnesota, this was a common thing. You, you know, I'd, I'd come up from Minneapolis here and go home and and see some friends or see my my relatives, and then they would say to me, hey, make sure to greet so-and-so. Uh, and that was just a common thing. And I don't know if you grew up with that or not, but that's exactly what Paul is doing here. Let me read it through, and then we'll, we'll make some observations. Verse 3, greet Pris Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Apentus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Adironicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. Greet Apollos, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Trophenia and Tryphosia, these women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asinricus, ah, I did that wrong. Greet Asincritus, Philegion, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermes, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philiagus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with the holy kiss. Greet another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Okay, that's the bulk of Romans 16 is that, that section right in there. From then on, we just have another 10 verses to finish the, the passage. Okay, now, lots of interesting things to see there. First of all, obviously, for a place that Paul's never been before, 
this is quite remarkable that he knows this many people, right? It's kind of crazy, as a matter of fact. He knows this many people, and he's also commending them as they're going to be coming. And, and there's a few reasons for that. One, of course, is Rome is the center of the Roman Empire. All roads lead to Rome, as the, as the phrase would say, right? And so as a result, it's not too weird that a lot of people would have gathered there in the, in the capital or the, the center of the Roman Empire. Second of all, remember that there was an edict that kicked all of the Jews out of uh, Rome, the city, and they had to move out where Paul maybe met them on their way, but then also uh, they would have migrated back. And so when the edict was lifted. Third thing to just think about is this is a fairly mobile culture, right? At this point in time uh, where people are moving towards the city and Paul uh, would have had great, you know, he had a great people group that he was part of. And like we say now, isn't it a small world, right? So, so-and-so ends up there and then they come over. I, it's almost every week that someone comes to our church that has been recommended by a good friend of mine who's a pastor in another church somewhere in the United States. And so, and then they, they actually do, I say, hey, make sure to greet them <laughs> just to, to carry this out. Now, so that's that's the first thing. Second thing to notice is there's a tremendous amount of diversity here. The the thing that maybe even just heard it in the way that I was struggling with the names is there's all kinds of names here, right? There's Greek, there's Jewish, there's Gentile, uh, there's you know just a great variety of of men and women. So this passage is not a passage that you know. Be honest with you, uh, we don't spend a whole lot of time here. But for a sociologist who wants to look at what was happening in the church in early Rome, it's gold. You'll find all kinds of things here. And just in a little bit of research, and you could do a lot more, you find that just about every boundary has been broken. Racial, gender, uh, the economic, this is crazy. So I don't know how they would know this from the names, but somehow they figured out that some of these names are people who have gotten their freedom. So they were in indentured servants or enslaved, and then they had gotten their freedom. So they were freed names. And again, I, I, it's above my pay grade to know how that works, but some of the commentators had mentioned that this really uh, in, indicates that these were part of the church. So just think about that. I mean, you have you have the church is incredibly diverse, men, women, Jew, Gentile, in, even in the Gentile, many races, many different kinds of people who are there. Uh, then you have socioeconomic diversity as well. And it is an absolutely beautiful thing. There are several cases where you hear about husband and wives and and just uh, Priscilla and Aquila. Paul has mentioned them in other places as well. And it's they're just teammates with with Paul, Paul being a single guy, and yet he had very good married friends. One of those is in verse seventeen. Most people now this is this is a real complicated verse, and uh, it's, I'll show you why it's looked at a lot um, in in just a minute. But there's two Adronicus and Junia, and people think probably the best way to look at this is it's a it's a man and a woman, most likely. Um, husband and wife. And so Adronicus and Junia. Now, the name Junia is very complex in that it could be two men. I mean, it, it could be a, uh, it could be a just two guys, and obviously, um, you know, just unrelated or anything, but they are people who had been in prison with Paul. So there's something that happened there. 
and it could be a male name, but most people think it's a it's a husband and wife here, and they're fellow Jews, and they've been in prison with Paul. So think about the closeness that Paul had with them, because they were they had been in prison, they'd served prison time with Paul for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. It's just beautiful. And then there's this phrase, and this is what this is what piques everybody's ears. It says they are outstanding among the apostles. And they were in Christ before I was. So the second part is simple. They became Christians before Paul was. That's easy. The first part is not as simple. It says they're outstanding among the apostles. And that phrase is extremely difficult to understand what it means. I mean, does it mean? It could mean a variety of things. It can mean that the apostles um, admired them, right? They're outstanding. They admire the, the, the apostles, admire them. It could mean that they are apostles and they're outstanding apostles, okay? So there's a lot of ifs here. And the, the, the second if is if that's possible, Paul is saying they're apostles and they're outstanding apostles. The word apostle is not super clear in the New Testament. It can mean, like we would see it often, that it would be referring to apostleship. And those were just a special group of people that had authority in the church, and they were um, they were the ones that you know they wrote a lot of the New Testament, the twelve apostles of Jesus. Then of course, um, uh, then of course, uh, you know uh, Judas is taken out, Matthias is added in, and then Paul says that he's added into this group. And again, are there any more of that level of apostles ever listed again? And uh, it's debatable, but most people would say no. But then there's other people called apostles, which would be more because the, the the phrase apostle uh, really comes across and basically means sent with a commission or the idea that you are the, a representative, you're a delegate, you're a messenger, right? And so... It could be just saying that they are outstanding missionaries, are outstanding messengers of that, okay? There's been interest here, especially when you look at the, at the and I kind of breached on it a little bit here, the role of men and women in the church, and is it a place where a in the church and in the home, uh, would it be proper for a woman to occupy the office that has the most authority, the spiritual authority in the church, the eldership, or here it would be like an apostle. And so people have looked at this passage and said, well, this is proof that in the early church there were women apostles and, and because of all this. And um, I would say, um, again, I I, uh, I do have an opinion on this. I think those of you who know Hope Community Church know that we're a complementarian church and that we understand men and women to be incredibly equal in value but different in role. And that's a valuable thing. We're to celebrate that. Not That's not meant to be a restrictive or it's meant to be a serving thing. Um, and yet in our church, we have a, many roles where women serve and are actually in positions of great leadership. So we don't, but when it comes to spiritual authority, that's only allowed for the elders who are godly qualified men. Not all. And so other men are under the authority of the elders as well. So it's not just gender, but it's the office. Now, well, you, before you send me a lot of emails on that, and that's okay, you certainly can. I'm happy to dialogue about that. I know that this day and age, it's not necessarily a popular opinion. I, I would argue here then say, if if you're if you're trying to make a case against that, I don't I don't think that this is you know on a scale from one to ten, I give this one a two or a three. 
as far as like proving that women were apostles. It it's speculative at best, and therefore I wouldn't make this my strongest argument if I were you. <laughs> Uh, I'm not just saying that because I tend to disagree with it. I'm just saying that linguistically here, it's I, there's a lot of ifs to get there. And therefore, it's not really, in my opinion, a good place to make that case. Okay, so that's the big things there to look at. Uh, very fun to look at all these different people. But for the interest of time, and, and unfortunately, our podcast does have to come to an end. Let's go to now what I'm going to say is the third part, which is verses 17 uh, all the way uh, through 20, which is what I would say is a warning and a promise. A warning and a promise. Verse 17, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Okay, so it's fascinating because even though the Apostle Paul, it, I have I think this is an accurate statement. I, I, I didn't read the whole book again to say this, but I'm pretty sure I'm looking up. Well, I guess that's what you do when you're trying to remember things, right? I'm looking up and to the, to the left. <laughs> but I don't think anywhere in the book of, of Romans yet we've had a warning. And in just in fact, yesterday at a staff meeting, one of our pastoral staff, Davis Johnson, mentioned uh, and just some, we start with a devotional and just said, in every New Testament letter, there's a warning. And I thought, you know, I think you're right. I In the book of Romans, this is the only place it is. There's a warning about false teaching, false doctrine, taking the Bible and twisting it, all these kinds of things, right? And here he doesn't go into specifics here other than he says it's going to cause divisions, put obstacles, and it's going to be contrary to the teaching you've learned. In other words, what Paul just went through, the, the elements of the gospel. And one of the big things that the apostle Paul is fighting against is uh, legalism. It's in Galatians, it's other places as well, where people have slipped in and said, you have to become Jewish, you have to go back and obey the Old Testament in order to be saved, plus Jesus. The Apostle Paul says that's false teaching. That's that's not a that's not the right gospel. He also talks about in other letters, asceticism, which is kind of the uh, I'm going to refrain from anything that is pleasurable, and that way I will go towards towards God, you know. And so he also in some of his letters uh, talks about Gnosticism and just some of the Gnostic is like I have this secret knowledge, and it's it's a the body is basically evil. We're completely evil in all of our ways, and which is true and not true. We're not completely as evil as we could be. That's not what total depravity means. There's a bunch of falsehoods out there. There are a bunch of falsehoods out now, too. I think the, the concept of a prosperity gospel is one that we're faced with right now. I think a big one coming up is that because we can't really know how to interpret things, therefore, how I feel about things makes it right, 
And therefore, if I feel certain things to be true, then therefore I can just read that into Scripture. And it's like, oh, baby. Uh, Scripture is our norming norm. Scripture is the truth with a capital T. And then we have to bow our knees to what we think and how we feel to that. Bringing those questions, which are good, that's a big one these days. So Paul is just saying, hey, man, there's going to be real big real big um, uh, pushback to truth, and it'll be constant, and it's going to be there. So I say that to you as well. Hang on to truth. Hang on to the words of Scripture. Hang on to just reading your Bible and, and trying to understand it and getting around people to talk about it, hearing good sermons on it, and then believing it and hanging on. And then he ends this portion here with a promise. And the promise is, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Wow, that goes all the way back to the garden, right? And he talks, he's speaking to the serpent. He's speaking about what's going to happen to the serpent in Christ and that there'll be the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman will be at enmity with one another. You will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And here, this is we're bringing this right back up, saying the gospel has now come and brought fruition, that that Christ has won, the serpent has been stomped, he is still living, and he will die. Though I mean, in, in the story, the in the, in the analogy here, that this is going to happen, and you know what? There is coming a day where Satan will be completely and utterly defeated. He's already lost. But he's been given an opportunity to continue to do his bidding. And man, we sure see it in our world right now. Next section, uh, section four, which is verses 21 to 24. It's just greetings from other people. Timothy, my co-worker, this is verse 21, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus send you their greetings. And here you have this beautiful section where these people who are with Paul at the time of the writing of this letter, and they're sending their greetings. And it's kind of cool. You do see here, I know we looked at this way back in the beginning of this letter, but this, this gentleman by the name of Tertius, who was the one who wrote it down. Paul had dictated it. Paul had said it. He was the writer. He was the actual writer of it. And um, he's the one who says greetings. And then we close with our benediction. Verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, till the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. So in a benediction always, there's a blessing being given, but there's glory being given. There's praise being given to God. Because all that says, now to him be glory forever. That's the sentence. To him be glory forever. And there's the fulfillment of everything else in between. Okay? The only wise God through Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful section. All right. And he says this. And what he, what, the fascinating thing to see in this benediction is he talks about there's this 
story. There's this mystery, the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past. So there's this whole biblical story, Paul would say. It goes way back to the garden. And now it's revealed through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God. In other words, it was prophesied about in the Old Testament. It comes to fruition in Jesus Christ because he, where he says in verse 25, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, so that all this, had, this story is now known. And then he says this, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, or the literal translation there, I'm reading from the NIV here, the obedience of faith. Now, there you go. If you've listened to all 60 podcasts, you remember that, I don't know, our third or fourth podcast, we looked at the first seven verses, and we were back in Romans 1.5. In Romans 1.5, we looked at the phrase, uh, let me just pull it up here on my, on my computer so I can I do say it accurately. And it says, I'll read from the, the uh, uh, ESV now. It says, it talks about Jesus Christ our Lord, in verse 4, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, or nations there is the same as Gentiles, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Okay? And we ask, that there, there, there's a common debate here about what is this talking about? What is obedience of faith? It could mean the faith that comes from obedience. In other words, I believe God and therefore, excuse me, I obey God and therefore I believe. Or it could mean uh, the phrase could mean the opposite, or not opposite, but it means that there's, because I believe, there's now obedience that comes out of it. It's faith's obedience. It's like it's possessive, okay? Now, I'm not saying that's not an important argument, and I, I think it's a little bit of both, but I mean, obviously, if you've walked through the book of Romans, you know that we don't obey and then get right with God, and then we have faith. We, the, All we're asked to do is have faith, and then that leads us towards walking with God, all right? And that's, it's it's... But they're two separate things. We believe, settled deal. Now there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then that leads us to something. Okay. But if you've been paying attention in our podcast here, you'll notice the last few weeks, uh, I've been kind of hinting at this, that I think the Apostle Paul is actually meaning something a little bit more than just which order does this fall in. So if you remember from... Uh, uh, a couple weeks back, uh, Romans 15, just the previous chapter, verses 8, I'm going to read 8 and 9. He says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the nations, the Gentiles, might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, then he quotes from the Old Testament. And it's fascinating because you... When you read some of those passages in the Old Testament, you're thinking, oh, that just means that God's going to triumph Israel in the face of these Gentiles. But Paul's saying, no, there's a bigger story here, and it's the inclusion of the Gentiles, okay? And then if you go to last week, I think it was last week, no, it was two weeks ago, excuse me, uh, where we looked at verses 14 to 16, he said, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the nations, to the uh, Gentiles, 
in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So it's like, wait a minute, that's kind of interesting. He He's telling why he's writing the book of Romans, and he says, I'm writing to you strike quite strongly on these things. I'm reminding you of the gospel of grace and what it means that actually one of the big reasons I'm writing the book of Romans is to show you that the storyline always was about the inclusion of the nations. Always. And he says, that defends my ministry too. To the, I'm going to these nations, not just to the Israelites. Now that's just fascinating, right? I want to I just show you a couple of passages from the Bible uh, that I think help you to see this. If you go to Psalm 2, right in the beginning... Uh, and Psalm 2 is a variety of different things. There's a lot of things going on in Psalm 2. But w- one of them is this. It says, uh, right away, it says, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and his anointed, or his anointed one, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs, The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. And then he goes on to make it clear who he's talking about here. He says, he said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, this is verse 8 of, of Psalm 2, and I will make the nations your inheritance. The ends of the earth, your possession, you will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like like pottery. Therefore, you kings, this is kings that are of the nations, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear, fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss the sun or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Well, that's fascinating, right? So this was used in Israel as a, as a coronation Psalm for the, whoever the king was going to be. They read Psalm two and it talked about the the preeminence of Israel, right? And the nations were going to bow down to, to them because they were, Special, but there, Paul, the Apostle Paul, I think, is lining up this whole of obedience of faith to the Gentiles, and it, there's there's a lot of passages I could go to, but just let me take one more from Isaiah, uh, chapter fifty two. It's a very famous passage, right? It's in verse seven, and I'm gonna read seven to ten. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, you watchmen, lift up your voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, or Gentiles, and the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. All right, so if you were reading this and you were in exile and you had been taken you know, out of Jerusalem, you've been taken out of Israel by the nations, you looked at this as a victory promise for Israel. And the Apostle Paul says, you know, there's actually a lot more going on here. 
And he says in, in this, this bearing his holy arm, and that's a sign of military might and, and taking this, this rod of iron. One more passage and from the New Testament, and it's at the very end, Revelation 19, and it's talking about what this is going to look like uh, in, the very, in the very end. And it says, uh, this is Revelation 19, verse 15. Um, come, well, let me read one verse back. It's speaking about Jesus, and he says, He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. Okay? So this is talking about Jesus and this victory that's going to happen, right? And there's imagery here that talks about it looks like they're going to have military victory. Well, the Apostle Paul turns that on his head here. I think that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. You know what this victory is? You know what this great military victory is? It's the salvation of the nations. That's... That's how God's kingdom really reigns. The kingdom of God is the, is the joyful and glad submission of human beings to God through Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul says, this is what I'm bringing about. I'm bringing about this big story where God is going to reign, but he's going to reign not with an iron fist where the iron fist is one of, of discipline and wrath, but an iron fist of military victory, which happened through my son and the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that you are actually going to have your heart ruled by the gospel. The gospel is this beautiful work that goes forward. And therefore, we end Romans Untangled with the very words of Paul, that this is to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen and amen. So that's a wrap, as they say. <laughs> that has been my joy again to be with you. If you're wondering if I'm going to do anything else, I am. Starting sometime in 2024. I'm not going to say when. I'm going to take a little break here. But in sometime in 2024, sometime before the, the snow is all melted, I hope to launch two new podcasts. One will be called Trike with a Mic. And as the name suggests, it's just going to be me interviewing people, uh, people that I admire, people... Uh, it might be a variety of different things, and it's just kind of a wide open thing. But I just want to have conversations with people that are willing to put themselves out on a podcast and just talk. Talk about ministry. Talk about faith. Talk to some people who are wrestling with faith. Um, talk about uh, leaders that I admire, what keeps them going. Just a variety of different things. So trike with a mic. Mostly interviews and every, every now and then just a, a personal opportunity to share some reflections. And the other one is I want to do the Gospel of John in a devotional way with not as quite as heady as what we've done with the Book of Romans, but in much quicker pace. Um, there will probably be multiple uh, episodes a week, probably 15, 20 minutes long, and just a chance to devotionally walk through the Gospel of John. Preliminary title is John's Journey, uh, through the through, uh, John's Journey, uh, the Gospel of John. But I'm not sure of that title yet or not, but that's, that's what I hope is coming. It has been my pleasure to hang with you during Romans Untangled. May the peace of God and the love of Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be yours. Amen.